Welcome to the Center of Influence Podcast, the place for breakthrough conversations with experienced business partners like you. It's time to optimize your center of influence. Let's talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the COI Center of Influence podcast. I am Nick Gentile here again with John DeFreitas, and today we are joined by Bo Beery, multifamily advisor, uh, multifamily broker out of Florida. Um, Bo, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad you guys were patient. I know you contacted me a few months ago, and it's, it's good that we're finally here. Yeah. Yeah, I know John was really excited to have you on. I, I think uh, he's already learned a lot of things from, from you and uh, all of the different multimedia platforms that you're on and books and all kinds of things. Yeah. So we, uh, we're looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, man. It's all about adding value. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start off by uh, getting to know you a little bit better. I know John's pretty familiar with, with you and your background, but uh, tell me a little bit about Bo and... Uh, you know, how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, man. Uh, I grew up in a, in a real small town called Wilaka, Florida, <laughs> which today is like 400 people. It was probably 200 people uh, in the, in the 80s. Um, and uh, I was there till I was 14, 15 years old. Um, you know, we used to go to Palaka to have fun. If you know what Palaka is, if you go there because that's like the big city, you know you're in a small town. Um, and so, um, from there, uh, my mom, my mom was a teacher. And so, um, she then decided to teach at Pearson high school in Pearson, Florida, which is another burning metropolis of about 1500 people. Uh, total high school was 69 graduating students, uh, fern capital of the world. Um, and so went to high school there and, then uh, graduated, did a community college at Daytona Beach Community College, got my A degree, and all my friends were going to UF. And so my whole thing with two things was all my friends were going to UF. And then when I went and visited my friends on the weekend, you could play basketball at 10 p.m., 1 a.m., 3 a.m. There was a freaking court everywhere. And I was obsessed with basketball. I have a very obsessive personality, you'll find out. Um, and so like, those are my two decisions. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't look at anything else. I didn't go anywhere else. I didn't like, there wasn't all this whole process you do today to go to college. Right. Like we're going through with our son. It was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to school there. Right. And I had like three and a half GPA coming out of high school and like, a, I don't know, something a little bit above that at a community college. And that got you in the UF today. If you have a four and a half and you volunteer 38,000 hours a week, there's still a 50% chance you're not getting in. <laughs> it's nuts. Oh, wow. It's nuts. Um, so came to UF, got an undergrad degree in, uh, in marketing, uh, went and worked for Tremel Crow Residential, which was a part, one of the largest department development um, uh, or developers in the country. I didn't know at the time. I actually wanted to be a personal trainer at a college, um, and I didn't get the dream job I wanted was going in the gym one day, saw a buddy of mine who was working for Tremel Crow building an apartment complex in Gainesville and said, hey, we need a leasing agent. I'm like, well, I ain't got nothing to do. <laughs> Sounds good to me, right? And went through the interview process, got hired, started leasing apartments, became the top leasing guy within three months, 
learned the management side of the business. My property manager was really cool and showed me the books, you know, showed me the income statements, the P&Ls, the rent rolls. And I was watching, you know, essentially four or 500 people pay down the mortgage on this asset. And I saw the income and expenses and I never saw the owners once in my life there and thought to myself, I got to have a piece of this, right? So I fell in love with real estate there and uh, Tremel Crow paid for education. So I was like, yeah, I get my real estate license. So I got my real estate license. I was still with Tremel Crow. Um, they paid for that. And while I was in my real estate license course, everyone was talking about the master's degree in real estate program at UF. Today, I think they're top five or top three in the country. They might even be number one in the country now. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of qualifications to get in there. It took me a year and a half to get in there. Tremendous perseverance to go through all the hoops so I went through the program. It's a one-year program. I did that in 2002. Um, got hired on with a development company. Um, I brokered and managed their office, retail, industrial, and multifamily portfolio. Um, did acquisitions for them. Bought some properties with the principal. Um, but I started learning to myself, like, gosh, if I if I made one guy, if I did this good for one guy, what if I did it for ten guys? What if I did that for 20 guys and gals? What if I did it for 50 guys and gals, right? And so an opportunity presented itself to acquire a Coldwell Banker and a Coldwell Banker commercial franchise that had been in the business that had been in the business here for over 100 years. Acquired it with a very prominent family in town. They ran the business. All I did was broker multifamily assets. And uh, the business just kind of took off. I, I owned that for 10 years with them, sold it back to them and started my own boutique multifamily brokerage firm called Bo Beery Multifamily Advisors. I did that in 2021. That's it. That's the wow. catch up. That's I awesome. Like the small version, right? <laughs> yeah. So when you were uh, with, Bo with um, Coldwell and you mm -hmm. decided to go on, do your own thing, what kind of motivated you to do that? Um, you know, I, I think you you reach a point in your career, whether, I mean, let's just use brokerage for, for an example, and the same thing exists in the lending world, right? So you'll understand this. Um, you reach, uh, you know, the, the 10,000 hour rule, right? You get so good at putting so many hours into your business that you become known for that, right? And, and your, your brand, your ability to produce for your customers exceeds what that of the company can do for you, right? And it's nothing against Coal Banker Commercial, it could have been Marcus Amilichap or Seabird Chadels. It doesn't matter what it was. And not that my brand is bigger than any one of those guys, because that's not remotely likely. But the point is that in our business, and I think in many businesses that are not banking or real estate related, customers follow the person, not the company, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, right. after a number of years, I, you know, I, I started noticing that and, and speaking with my customers and said, hey, you know, like if I started my own gig, like, would you care? I mean, and they're like, and every single one of them was like, Bo, like we do business with you. Like we don't care what your company is. And so, um, so I, 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 I did the leap. And when I did the leap, it wasn't much of a leap to begin with, because even when I had the Cobalt Banker commercial, it's not like I plastered that logo and everything I did. And we didn't, I didn't talk about it. It wasn't even a thing, right? If you can produce for a customer, they don't care what it is, right? But when I did the changeover, I never even did an announcement, didn't do a PR blast, didn't do it on social media, literally to this day have not made an announcement that I started Bo Beery Multifamily Advisors. I just changed my email signature, 
changed my website, removed the logo a little bit. And I went almost two years before the first customer was like, are you with, are you with Cobalt Bank or commercial anymore? I'm like, no, no, no. I sold it back to him. Nobody even knew. Swear wow. to God. Nobody huh. knew. Right? Because I, you know, I'm the person producing value for them. And it, it wasn't. Now, listen, if I was, you know, and I'm not saying this is for every broker or, you know, person in the mortgage business, but depending on the type of product you market, you know, if I, if I did institutional grade assets, right, that were $80 million and up on average, I may want to have a publicly traded brokerage behind my name. Frankly, I think I'd still have broken off. Um, but but that can certainly have its great advantages. Um, I wanted control of my destiny, my hours, where I work, my home office, that chair I sit in right over there, um, who I hire, what I spend on. I wanted, I wanted full control of my, my branding, my marketing, my CRM that belonged to me. Um, there's a lot of things that I wanted that you couldn't get in other houses. And, and mostly it's just the autonomy. So was there a certain point where you realized that you were having that relationship with your customers or that ability to retain them personally? And then did you make any changes from that point when you made that realization that helped you keep building on that? Honestly, I probably could have done it 10 years earlier. You know, I just, you know, I, I think what happens is we get so busy in our business and um, you know, we don't, first of all, even when we think about doing a change, we think it's an overwhelming change that we have to change stationery and logos and do letters and DBPR and all this stuff. And it's just really not that much work. Um, I, I think, I, I think easily a decade earlier, I could have done the change and nobody would have cared, but you don't, you don't learn this stuff until, um, you know, you start, I'm very analytical, right? So every transaction I do, I would do synopsis on it, who the customer was, what type of customer it was. I basically created an avatar for every property I sell and every owner. And because I track stats on everything I do, not just those two components I did, but the entire market, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see my stats, you can start to develop sort of um, thought processes, right? So my avatar every single time was a from a we'll call it a mom and pop but let's just say an individual principal who's wealthy that owns two to three properties up to a large syndication my customer was not real estate investment trusts publicly traded uh, national um, investors like almost none of my deals were that right and so once i started developing my avatar I became uh, i became more comfortable with the thought of breaking off because those are the type of folks that don't get who you're with or what, or, you know, what, what your brand is, or your company. If you produce for them and bring them deals and then hit home runs from them on the sale, they're going to hire you. If your company was strawberry shortcake realty, they don't care. Did that change the, uh, I looked at one of your listings before we, we hopped on here just to kind of get familiar with, uh, with your style and, and what it yeah. is that you do for, for a living. And, uh, did that give you more freedom as well when you broke off from Coldwell Banker to do some of the things that you do? We, I'd noticed that you use comedy a lot, which is awesome. Yeah. And you've got some personality in your listings, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, they always gave me the autonomy, you know, so Coldwell Banker commercial really in itself was, was not a big multifamily known um, entity, <laughs> right? They are what, you know, the Coldwell Banker commercials, the NAIs, the Sperry Van Nesses, those are more of the franchise 
non-national, non-publicly traded brokerages. So in themselves, they give more autonomy to their agents. So yeah. I was never really restricted from that. They didn't have any rules about non-compete, no rules about you have to use our CRM like a lot of brokerages. Um, it was more just, you know, giving up a lot of franchise fees, right? And cuts to the house for something they couldn't provide in return to compensate for that. Um, and that's not the case for all agents. For some agents, they should stay where they are. And there's, there's a benefit to being fed some of those types of things. But on the multifamily side, there wasn't a, a, a mutual beneficial relationship really. And that's nothing against them. It's just the way the model set up. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I also noticed that um, I'm this. Is, I was looking at the Lakeshore Gainesville video. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I I love the fact that you let the the seller tell a story at the beginning of it about you know the right. history of the building and um, where did that come from? It, is that something that you tried out and it just worked really? Well? I mean, great it, question, man. Not it many spoke to me in the seconds of that video. Kudos to you, Nick. I do like, I don't know how many podcasts and nobody's um, picked up on that, but the, the story is, is pretty neat. So when, when COVID hit, you know, March, 2020, by around July, I'm watching more YouTube videos, right? Because I'm bored and there ain't nothing mm -hmm. moving. All I'm doing is playing a psychologist for my investors so they don't jump off a bridge, right? So I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm like, oh, I can start a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel and it started off where I would do the teaching stuff that you see on my channel where I talk to beginning investors, advanced level investors. We talk about analytics. Um, but also I started watching this residential agent who you may have heard of called Ryan Serhant. And he is, uh, you know, self-proclaimed number one residential agent in New York and probably is. I mean, the cat does billions of dollars in volume is off the charts, off the charts. And he does these really cool listing videos where he walks through these $20 million condos in, in New York and, you know, basically almost makes like a Hollywood movie of these, of these listings. And sometimes he's funny and sometimes he's serious and whatever it is, the, the thought process behind Ryan is that number one, if he does a good enough video, it'll sell. But number two, you know, it's being seen by, you know, sheiks in Abu Dhabi and people in different countries. And, and so tremendous, tremendous uh, exposure. But secondly, my thought process is when that cat walks into a listing appointment, and sits down with them and has 100,000 subscribers on YouTube and shows them the kind of things they'll be doing for their house or condo, right? And then shows them his social media presence about what he has, that totally separates him from any kind of listening presentation that person has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I have that kind of personality. I can, I could do something like that, right? And so I was, um, my first listing that I did this on was a little 16 unit student housing asset in Gainesville that had been marketed by a couple brokers. Um, the, the owner would never give them the listing agreement, but several brokers tried to sell this thing. Big price on it. I knew the owner, called them up and said, listen, man, I want you to watch a couple of these Ryan Serhant videos. And I said, my idea is, I said, no listing agreement, just allow me to create a freaking movie for this property. And I will get you X price. You will pay me X percent on the fee. Does that sound okay? And he's like, yeah, sure. Right. So I hired an outside film crew, five guys who um, I, I, I knew one of the principals. Uh, he was the son of another real residential realtor, brought them out there, created this killer walkthrough video that 
was was really funny, but also talked about the property and and the the sub market and the market. And I mean, I sold it like, bam! I mean, just bam! It was immediate. I mean, just tons of views and people calling me and and uh, and 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 not just you know not just really highlighted the property, which was the whole point, and got the price and sold it and earned the fee. But but really, I I caught on to like I got something here, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, you have to understand most investors in the multifamily world, they aren't they aren't from the market in which they're buying in. In fact, almost no one buys in the same market a listing comes up in because they think everything's overpriced. Right. What I'm attracting is people from all over the world, not just the United States, from all over the world, who will buy a 16 unit deal in Jacksonville, Florida, right? But I have to give them a storyline behind the property. It can't just be the net operating income is this. Here's the cap rate. Here's the cash on cash. Here's the IRR. Like they want to know what's nearby. Why would I buy this? What's the constraints? You know, what, you know, all this stuff. And so I kind of give a full scoop on why this is the property to buy. Believe that. Are you starting to see that the change in your market down there? Um, for larger assets, yes. I mean, it's, I mean, there, listen, there's still a, the same number of buyers. The difference is the buyers are not killing each other to try to win the deal, mm-hmm. right? They're all being very cautious and I'm more so having to sell the deal, right? Um, but the smaller the asset gets, there's still tremendous amount of, um, still very major competitive under 30, 40 units. Um, because yeah, while interest rates that. affect every property proportionally, the actual dollar number is different, right? So in a $20 million apartment complex, that could have been $3 million in value wiped out, okay? Two and a half to $3 million. The guy who owns a 15 unit, $3 million asset, it's a hundred grand. It's 150 grand. He's not gonna not sell over that. Right. Right. Do you think inventory is starting to build up a little bit? Um, what do you mean by that? But you mean the number of deals coming for sale or you mean the amount right. of inventory being built? Well, I, are you guys still building down there? Um, yeah. I mean, in our, in our parts, there's a lot of units coming online. Like there's oh, a lot of, un, there's a lot of ones under construction. There's a lot of ones proposed. I think the ones that are proposed will probably, probably be cut in half right. over the coming months Yes, partly in part to insurance, but really it's construction costs and uh, partly to interest rates, but mostly construction costs and insurance is severe in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of closings has gone down 60, over 60% quarter to quarter. So comparing fourth quarter 2022 to fourth quarter 2021, number of closings down over 60%. Now keep in mind, the fourth quarter of 2021 was the most number of closings in the history of the world. In my, in, in at least in the northern half of Florida, and probably for most of the U.S., because everyone, if you remember, we're trying to fit in those closings because they thought capital gains were going to go mm-hmm. up. Ten thirty-one was going to go away this year, and it never happened, right? So December was nutty, but still over sixty percent down. Let me tell you this: I'll give you another stat for the entire northern half of Florida. Okay, I'm talking about Lakeland, Winter Haven, Ocala, Gainesville, Deland, Deltona, New Smyrna, uh, Ormond Beach, St. Augustine, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Lake City, everything in between. I don't cover Orlando or Tampa because those are institutional, and I don't cover Pensacola because it's a tiny market. But everything else in the entire northern half of Florida, do you know how many closings there were? Over 10 units, not over 100, over 10 units 
conventional student and affordable combined in the month of November? I think you did a video on this. <laughs> Eight. Eight? And, and in December, there's only been six closings. Wow. Wow. State of Florida, one of the top, arguably the top five, not top three markets in the United States for multifamily, northern half of Florida, conventional student and affordable combined over 10 units, six deals. That six might become eight or nine because sometimes the tax assessor websites right. straggle a little bit, but November's correct. Eight. Wow. That's right. unbelievable. January will probably be even less because if you think about the life cycle of a deal, every deal takes about 90 days. By the time a seller calls me, I gather all the documents, do the video and pictures and create the marketing documents, market it, negotiate it, go to contract, 30-day due diligence, 30-day close. It's like 90 to 120 days, right? Mm -hmm. And when you think about the timing when interest rates pop for the last time and you add 90 to 120, January and February is probably going to be pretty slow. Now I say all that, um, my, my pipeline going into January was the worst I've ever seen. Okay. I had the fewest number of deals under contract and the fewest deals I was working on in, in years, right. Since, since the run-up and I'm like, I'm, I'm telling my wife, like, all right, I'm like, listen, I'm glad we always store away cash because 2023 is going to be thin. And then all of a sudden in the last two weeks, I've got nine apartment complexes, that I'm, that I'm doing BOVs on that they're going to sell. Whether they choose me or not, I don't know, but nine of them. Blah, 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 blah. Got a 10th one, actually. I, I don't count this one because I'm helping my junior agent who does under 10-unit stuff. We got another one, a portfolio of 10 under 10-unit properties that we're underwriting wow. now. I mean, just bam, right? So what do you think caused that to happen all of a sudden? Um, I, I'm hearing more about, um, you know, I think people are getting a little more used to the stabilization of, of the market, the interest rates. This is the world we're in. You can still borrow for, I mean, I just talked to a JLL capital market guy and, you know, they'll loan at five and a quarter to five and a half on a 30 year debt, um, which is, which is good. Right. Um, yeah. I, I count at five and a half. I always go on the, on the higher end. That's, that's not too bad. It ain't three. Right. But it ain't, it ain't too bad. Um, and so I think, um, especially for those assets that, um, that have good equity that, 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 um, you know, it did it already did the value add. Yes, it may cost them a little bit of money, but it ain't going to be, it ain't going to be, they might as well go ahead and take what they know is good now in case something else could happen later. Frankly, I think it's only going to get better. I think that, I think in, particularly in 2024 during election years, when you look at historically, during election years, I think interest rates will have their first decline, actually, because Republicans and Democrats will want to have something to celebrate. That's yeah. my personal thing. And I think the second an interest rates go down, I don't care if it's like 0.1, I think there'll be a little bit of a frenzy. Yeah. <clears throat> so you mentioned construction a little bit. Uh, do you think that from the consumer side, there's still a lot of demand for new uh, buildings going online? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, the stat is that we need another, um, oh gosh, what the hell was it? I just, I just posted it. Anyway, we're, we're so far behind. We'll never catch up just in the U S period. And Florida is even worse. Um, now the, the differences are how much you're going to add in any one single year. Right. So like in Gainesville, there's thousands of units coming in in conventional and thousands of bedrooms coming in for students. 
And in the one and a half years that are coming in, we'll be able to absorb them all without any pain? Probably not, right? But over the next, I think, it went, I think the stat went to 20, 2040, we'll never be able to deliver enough. It's just not. Hmm. Um, and the constraints are barriers to entry, you know, with impact fees, getting developments approved, um, markets in which they always say no to new developments anyway, like you know, a lot of it's governmental restraints that bring that uh, don't, don't allow the number of units to come in. You get like 13, 1400 people a day coming in Florida. We can't build enough apartment complexes for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just saw a uh, article about the amount of people leaving uh, other states and going to Florida right now yeah, is still, here, yeah, it's going crazy. I think it was number, actually, it's number two state in the country for migration in behind yeah. Texas. I mean, it's cold and rainy here. I don't know why you wouldn't want to stay in Illinois. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Illa who? <laughs> yeah. So I people, wanted to take. Oh, sorry. Say, people spend people spend their whole lives here in Central Illinois talking about what year I'm going to move to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. The decade, decades of people will talk about it. Exactly. All our customers. Yeah. Yeah. So no I kidding. wanted to take a, a few minutes and talk about your uh, social media presence. Uh, anybody sure. who follows you. Uh, knows that that you're on multiple platforms. So I kind of wanted to see what your favorite platforms are, um, which ones you get seen on the most, and also which ones you have the uh, you feel have uh, afforded the best for your business. Yeah, awesome questions. Also very good questions that not many get asked. So kudos to you on that. Um, so I, again, I have studied this extensively and I will give you the summary and then I'll give you the backup. The summary is YouTube and LinkedIn by far are number one for anyone in commercial real estate. Um, I tested for a six month period, TikTok, um, Facebook Reels, uh, YouTube Reels, um, and Instagram and miserably failed on every single one of them. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I would, I tried to be funny. I tried to be serious. I tried to do action, you know, just stats, all kinds of stuff. And I, and I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs. I just know that the algorithms on those platforms are not as good for, for at least commercial real estate people. I think a residential realtor on TikTok and Instagram, all that, they kill it, right? It's a, it's an emotional product. It's a move into it product. It's selling themselves as a, as a person. It's a, it's a, it's a different sell. Um, but speaking stat and, and, and information and data on platforms that are meant for general funny didn't work. So I found in those platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube Reels, the algorithm would send it out almost to the general public instead of just specific real estate people. And I would get a lot of hate. I'd get stupid comments, ignorant comments, people who would say things that have you know, you go to their profile and either, either the profile doesn't even exist. They've never posted a video before. It's just a bot, right? Mm -hmm. I just got done with it, right? It was just, it was upsetting me. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, my LinkedIn and my YouTube, I've never had a negative comment, right? Because these are my people. These are all people who are in real estate, who this is what they do for a living. It's what they do all day long. They get what I put out there. Um, they're helpful to me. I'm helpful to them. Um, so to me, LinkedIn, number one, is by far um, the best platform because everyone in our business and business in general, most of those folks are on LinkedIn, right? Not all of them visit every day, right? But every customer that owns every apartment complex in my market, all 996 of those investors, if they're on LinkedIn, I connect with them right away, 
right? Because now I have them captured as part of my drip marketing program. They're seeing these posts, right? I'm also emailing them. I'm also calling them. They're also getting a mailing from me. They're also seeing a video of mine because all the algorithms are working hand in hand, right? And so, you know, no social media outlet earns you business specifically. Like I never had someone say, Bo, you know what? I own this 215 unit complex over in Tallahassee. And man, that LinkedIn post you did the other day, amazing, <laughs> right? My partners and I immediately said, that's the guy we're going to list with. And I did it specifically because of that post. It's never happened. I don't know that it ever will. But in addition to regularly seeing my LinkedIn content that is solid, that they can read in 10 seconds or less, and when they go on YouTube to watch a car video and somehow the algorithm has figured out this guy's in multifamily, let me show you Bono's multifamily. And they're getting a postcard from me that's super informational stuff. And I'm calling them every couple months to add value in their life and never ask them to sell. All these things work hand in hand so that when it is time to sell, I occupy their brain. Almost never do I call someone and say, Hey, John, I know you own, you know, so-and-so apartments over on Main Street. Boy, the market's amazing. Boy, I could sell your property for so much. You should list with me. I just don't do that, right? There are people who are successful at that. I just, it's an uncomfortable phone call to me. My whole mantra is I want to add so much value in your business and personal life with no strings to ever what's attached. I do it because I love to do it. It makes me feel good. So that when the timing occurs in your life, I'm all you think about, right? Or at least I'm one of the folks that you're going to interview. That's the way I do business. Love so that. it wasn't your dance moves. <laughs> it was. That's, right. that's surprising. That's surprising. <laughs> There's some of those in that Gainesville video too. We need to link that one in, yeah. in the comments. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the uh, ones. I've got a playlist on the YouTube channel that's, that just has the property tours on there. And each one of them are... They're fun. They're fun to make. I had a sales training one time that talked about being top of mind to customers and uh, how Best Buy always has their ad in the newspaper back when newspapers were a thing. And, mm. you know, you'd shake that Sunday newspaper and that'd be the first one that fell out. And so they yep. were just always top of mind that way when that refrigerator went out or whatever it was, that's who you thought of. So, right. And all of them, every almost, I would say 99.99% people when they open that, they saw the blue and yellow damn thing fall down. They took the blue and yellow. They never even looked at it. Threw it in the trash, but their mind, their subconscious, remembered that blue and yellow. And I know most of my postcards that go out, right? They'll look at, ah, oh, cool stat. And they'll see my logo. They'll see it was for me. Maybe they didn't have time to read it. Maybe they did. But all the time, I get at least a couple deals a year. They're like, yeah, yeah, I've been getting your postcards for years. Or yeah, yeah, I've been getting your emails for years. Whatever it is, like it's just consistency. The key is, not putting out garbage, right? What I do is not terribly different than a lot of brokers, but I think what happens is a lot of brokers just put out very general, boring information. I maintain an, an incredible CRM that I've self-created all the data. I self-source all the data. I don't use a CoStar and a Reese and all these places that have inaccurate information. I self-get um, uh, all the data so when I put out information, it's something that I know if I owned that complex, I would want to know. I don't put out things that say, I just sold this, right? You know, or, right. A, a, you know, whatever, or, you know, sell versus lease, right? A lot of commercial brokers do you cap rates, you know, or, or X or you know, for the, for the whole market. Well, who cares? 
right? It doesn't mean anything for me on this particular apartment complex on this street in this submarket. So I try to put out stuff that's kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I want to be mindful of your time where we've uh, been talking for a little bit here. I want to ask you one more thing. Um, so yeah. as far as, you know, our podcast is talking about centers of influence. Um, are there any um, business people, centers of influence in your world that you could not do business without have really been um, a huge help to you being successful? Yeah. Number one, most important ease. I mean, you know, besides family and so forth, right. I mean, your, your wife or your spouse is always one that takes the brunt and keeps you going. Right. But it's my coach, Blaine Strickland. So uh, Blaine Strickland is a commercial real estate coach. He's world renowned. He's an unbelievable mentor. I've had him for at least a decade, known him for probably 20 years um, I've always had a coach. I'll always have a coach. I have a swim coach. I have a workout coach. I have a driving coach. I have a commercial real estate coach. I'm a big believer in mentorship because it just, it, it, you know, propels you ahead of the competition. It puts you well ahead of your game. And, and mostly what Blaine does for me is he's a 30,000 foot thinker and I'm not, I'm a guy that if you, if you give me 10 steps to do in order to accomplish something, I do the 10 steps. I don't know how to think of the 10 steps. I don't know how to think bigger about myself, but Blaine is, is why I have the presence that I do, why I wrote the book, um, the website, the starting my own company, the hiring the people that I have, the future things we're about to do that no one knows about. These are all things that I, my brain just, I, I'm, I'm not capable of, of thinking above myself. But when you have someone who's on the outside and can see inside, but there's also watching other killers and coaching other killers in, in, in the world. Like they see things differently, but as business people, we're so entrenched in our own business and we're so busy. All we're trying to do is get through the day and just accomplish what we have to accomplish today. Right. And then you get on a call with Blaine. He's kind of like, well, Nabo, our next step is when you think about doing this. And I'm like, yo, totally <laughs> need to be doing that. Yeah. That's right? awesome. Well, I've, I've got one more question for you too, kind of to off of that same question that John just asked. Um, yeah. I, I'm in the process of, of uh, starting a, a young professionals networking group here in, in central Illinois. And one of part of it's educational. And, and one of the topics that we have come up with for one of our educational sessions is a question that people ask all the time. And it's how do, you know, how do I find a mentor? How do I seek out a mentor? What kind of advice would you give for somebody in, in that uh, that's in that space where they're looking for one of where to start? Yeah, it's 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 industry specific and word of mouth. Right. I mean, LinkedIn is phenomenal for that, man. Like, I mean, if you're, a, you know, call it a 20 year old kid who's in his you know second year of college and he wants to go into finance. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it ain't hard. I would go on LinkedIn. I'd pimp out your profile phenomenally. Right maybe even hire a LinkedIn coach. LinkedIn has all kinds of services where they can take your profile to the next level, buy a premium package, whatever it is, right? And then once you fill out that profile, start connecting with a lot of people that you actually know and are tight mm -hmm. with, talk to your professors, whatever program you're in probably also has a board of directors for that specific program, connect with them and then start having lunches and hey, hey who do you know? Who should I sit down with? When I was in the college program, what I was good at was the networking part of it. I made my full-time job, and this is whether you're in college or not. Let's just say you're a 25-year-old, you're out of college. I made a, a list of all the people who I knew who were in that business. And I figured out, I found out if I didn't know that person, who I knew that know them. And people want to help young people. 
Mm-hmm. And now is the, is the best time to sit down with someone who you would never be able to sit down with in the future, right? So if you're a 24-year-old who just graduated and you're in business or you're, you're selling widgets or whatever it is, to be able to call, you know, John Smith, who is, you know, worth $215 million and owns that company in your hometown, if you called him up and said, hey, hey, John, my name is, you know, Bo Beery. I'm a 24-year-old, just graduated from the University of Florida. Um, Nick Gentile told me that he knows you from so-and-so and said, you'd be willing to give me two minutes of your time. I just want to ask you a couple of questions about your industry. I'm so mm-hmm. interested. Your accomplishments have been amazing. I know how busy you are. Two minutes, right? But I just dropped that nickname, right? Mm-hmm. And now John ain't going to like not call me because now his reputation is at risk, right. Nick, right? Yep. And what would happen is, is Older folks who have been who have been successful, and, and I'm including that as a 47-year-old now, when a young kid calls me, that's unique. Like young kids just don't do that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. They don't reach out. And when a young guy calls me up and says, you know, you know, gives you a couple of compliments, it boosts you up and says, Hey man, I'm thinking about going to real estate. I heard you're the man, I heard you sell this and that, and you got great presence, blah, blah, blah. Man, if you ever have a couple of minutes, man, I'd love to hop on a phone call or they send me an email. And right, I want to one up it. I'm like, I'll come up and like, dude, let's do lunch. Like, I see that you're over in Ocala, where you're 40 minutes away. Why don't you come up to Gainesville? I'll take you out to lunch. And they're just like, oh, <laughs> right. But I do it because like, I just want to help young people. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's so cool to be able to like, if that person becomes someone, I can tell my wife like, <laughs> I had lunch with him back in June. I'm pretty sure what I said to him <laughs> made him that guy, <laughs> right? or whatever it is. We just like to help people, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but now is the time. Like once you're 40 years old and you're in a competing business or competing company, you ain't taking that guy and he ain't going to give you his secrets. I'll Did give you that, all John? my secrets in a lunch. Did you hear that, John? 40 years old. Oh, man. It's over yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Bo, um, why don't you tell people how they can uh, get to know you a little bit better, get to... Yeah get in contact with you, all that stuff. Yeah, man. Three ways. I'll be very brief. Uh, number one, my website is bobeery.com, B-E-A-U-B-E-E-R-Y. Whether you invest in the Florida market or not, look at all the stats and all the information I have on there. When you can master that kind of information on my website for your market, you'll be able to respond to opportunities quicker. The second thing is if you are an investor, I wrote a book called Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. It's right here. Um, it's on hardcover on Amazon, it's on Kindle, it's on audio, on Audible. Um, and then the third way is my YouTube channel. Again, if you're an investor, it's called Bono's Multifamily. I got all kinds of playlists on there from the starting out guy to the absolute murderer. You'll learn something on there and see some stuff. Awesome. awesome. Well, I'd links to all that. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for, for tuning in again. And, and thanks so much, Bo, for, for your time. Really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun and yeah, uh, we'll catch Great you guys. Questions. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely.